Shalom, brothers and sisters, and welcome to the Mormon Kabbalah Podcast. This week we are on chapter four. Now, if you remember, chapter one was received. That was a revelation I received back in November 16th of 2015. So that was about 10, 11 days from my initial revelation to begin my new ministry under the Church of Jesus Christ and Christian Fellowship. Then chapters two and three, those were received in the 1980s, in 1989. Originally, chapter four was the first chapter of the Book of Remembrance. To understand this chapter, I need to talk about a revelation that I had beforehand on the 10th of January, 2016. If you have a copy of the Book of Remembrance and Other Dreams, Visions, and Revelations, then in the Revelation section, Revelation 5 is called a temple. It's a very short revelation that it says, and I'm going to paraphrase some of this and read some of this. I'm well pleased with thy strength, and behold, thou hast continued to be faithful to me, doing the works in my name. And to those who are faithful, I will add unto them as I see fit. Therefore, I say unto my faithful servant, build a temple unto me that I may come into my house and that my people shall have a place to worship. I've discussed this with people from the time I have received this up until present. And some people like to say, well, this is referring to the tabernacle of the flesh, as Paul says, is the temple of God. And I can't really argue with that fact that our bodies are a temple of the Lord. However, it says that my people shall have a place to worship. And as much as I love all of you, I don't think you guys are going to come into me to worship. Now, keep in mind that at this point, you know, I'm basically constantly being invited to talk to the state president so that they can get the evidence they need to excommunicate me from the Brighamite denomination, which I'd already left. And it's not like people are flocking to the fellowship looking for a new church. In fact, the people that the Lord inspired me to talk to about the fellowship and ask for help in building it, point blank said no. If you can imagine what I was going through, this I'm fresh in my ministry, maybe you are too right now, and it's not going poorly, but at the same time, it's also not really taking off. Uh, the state president made the comment that he actually thought I wasn't working. He, he couldn't understand how the website was getting done so quickly and how there could be so much information on there. And, you know, I had to explain to him, well, this is the work of God. So, I mean, it's, it's going to happen quickly. But at the same time, not everything is going to happen quickly and not everything did. And I'm, I'm sharing this with you because as a minister in Christ, I'm sure you're going to have similar ups and downs, things that are positive from your point of view and things that are negative from your point of view. And that's what happened to me. The thing we have to remember is that all things happen in God's time. The revelation moves on in verse four saying, behold, all things are possible unto me. Therefore, I will provide a way that this work might be accomplished. Therefore, I say unto thee again, build unto me a temple that I might come unto the holy of holies and converse with thee as a man doth converse with a friend. Let all the works which I have appointed unto you be continued and not cease. And I could keep going, but I'm going to stop there. You're welcome to read the whole thing. I'm sharing that with you because I want you to understand that 
no matter how impossible the odds seem, whatever the Lord asks you to do, they can happen. And, and I will tell you just briefly, at this point in time, February of 2021, we're currently in the Church of Jesus Christ and Christian Fellowship looking at actually putting together a tabernacle to use as a temple until we can actually get our own land. So we're doing our best to fulfill what the Lord has asked us to do. And we've prayed on this and the Lord has told us that he's pleased with what we're doing. So in your ministry, please be sure to think outside the box. Look for ways to complete the tasks that the Lord gives you with the means he provides you with. Now it's two days later. I got up early in the morning and I thought, I don't know how I'm going to build this temple. I've talked to people about it. And it's obviously, as my wife said at the time, something to be done further down the road. And keep in mind, we did build a temple in our home, so to speak. And I did consider that to be me doing the best I could, what I had. And anybody could come into our home to worship if they so desired. We did our best, again, with what we had at that time. On the 12th, it's early in the morning. I got up hours before I was supposed to be at work. I couldn't sleep. I'm thinking about this and you know, how do I accomplish this task the Lord has provided for me? And I received this revelation. So that's the background. That's that's the, the history behind this. And now starting in verse one, the revelation says, Verily thus saith the Lord, it shall come to pass that every soul who calleth upon my name and obey my voice and keep my commandments, thus forsaking sin and coming unto me shall see my face and know that I am. Yea, even they shall know that I am the father of their salvation, and that the father, Elohim, and I are one. I am the father because they gave unto me of their fullness. I am the son because I was in the world and made flesh my tabernacle and dwelt among the sons of men. And behold, it is I am that is Jehovah that spoke to your first parents in the garden. So let's break this down. Four verses here. I'm asking about this temple. What do I do about it? How do I build it? Where do I get the money for it? At the time, my family was renting property. And even if we bought it, there wasn't enough land in our backyard to build a temple. And the Lord comes to me and says that every soul that calls upon his name and obeys his voice and keeps his commandments, forsaking sin and coming into him, will see his face and know that he is. Now, this is kind of weird to me because is this, I, I already know that he is. Is this something that's supposed to happen in the temple? What, what does this mean? And it's important to understand this perspective I'm, I'm sharing with you because when the Lord talks to you and he answers your prayers, we need to understand that he isn't always answering the question that we're asking at that time. Really, this is, I came to discover later, more information that extends past that initial revelation that I had on the 10th, but it wasn't the exact information that I was seeking and looking for at that moment. It is a call out to everyone because everyone has a ministry, even if their ministry isn't being an actual pastor or deacon, teacher, priest, priestess, elder, high priest, high priestess, what have you. Members have a ministry. They still share that light of Christ with the world through their discipleship, right? This is inviting all of us, everyone to obey God, keep the commandments, forsake sin, to see the face of God and know that God is real. When the scriptures say to see my face, that actually has a special biblical meaning. When we talk about this idea of seeing God face to face, that's also referred to being in the presence or the dwelling place of God. 
So in a sense, it is like being in the Holy of Holies, even if you're not actually in one. When Joseph Smith was in the sacred grove and he saw the father and the son being filled with the Holy Spirit himself, he was in the Shekinah. He was in the presence of God. It's a term used to describe the divine feminine or heavenly mother. As we understand this through the eyes of Mormon Kabbalah, it is through the divine feminine that God receives from us our prayers, our supplication. So remember that in Kabbalah, the male represents the desire to bestow and the female or the feminine represents the will to receive. God's will to receive then is going to be represented in Heavenly Mother and his desire to bestow will be represented in the Father. And the Son represents both, being in both the masculine and feminine in a sense. He represents both the Father and the Mother. So understanding the Shekinah, there's two different perspectives here. The Shekinah is us as the congregation. We are the bride of Christ. And that's why the scriptures declare us, Christians, Israel, it's all feminine. We are the bride. Christ is the bridegroom. There's two different ways of looking at this. When it says, shall see my face, when we look at each other, we're looking at the Shekinah. So we are seeing the face of God in one another. Remember, the scriptures say that men and women are created in the image of God. So we should know that God is real, being a part of the congregation and working one with another. At the same time, there's also that reference to Moses here, seeing God face to face. We too, like Joseph Smith, Moses, and others, have the ability to see God face to face. There's no reason why we shouldn't have that direct relationship with the Holy Spirit. From here, it moves on to verse 2, and it says that we shall know that I am the Father of their salvation. I am here, I felt impressed to put his capital A-M, and that, of course, is a Hebrew term that refers to God as the creator. When you see I am or I am that I am, that means I am the one that makes or creates. So it's saying I am the creator. Here in verse 2, it says, even they shall know that the creator is the father of their salvation. And, of course, we know that the creator is Jesus Christ because it says so in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. He is the Word made flesh. And then it goes on to say that the Father Elohim, so this would actually be referring to our divine parents here, are one with Jesus. This is saying that, of course, as the Creator, he represents them. But Jesus is also the Father. That's what it says in verse 3. Because Elohim gave unto Jesus of their fullness. And, of course, he's also going to be the Son because he came here into the world and took a physical body, a tabernacle. And this is something that we need to understand as Christians. There's people out there who have all kinds of different ideas of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Some people think that Jesus is an alien. Some people think that Jesus is a myth. But we know as Christians that Jesus walked the earth as a physical being, atoned for our sins, died on the cross, and was resurrected on the third day. Jesus is the God that we worship. Everyone who is a Christian, regardless of denomination, is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ. Every Latter-day Saint, regardless of denomination, is a part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And yes, there's a lot of denominations that have borrowed that name from the revelation that Joseph Smith had to give their denomination more clout, and that's fine, nothing wrong with that. But there's a greater movement of Latter-day Saints that's bigger than any earthly church. And we're all a member of it. It doesn't matter if we belong to one of the denominations out in Utah that broke away with Brigham Young 
or if we're part of Community of Christ or one of their breakoff groups or the Bickertonites or anybody else, we are all Latter-day Saints. We all belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because that's what the Lord said the name of Israel is in these latter days. And now in verse 4, it starts getting back into the Genesis story by saying, Behold, it is I am, it is the creator that is Yavah, and that spoke to your first parents in the garden. Now, from our perspective, because chapters 1, 2, and 3 exist in this book now, this really ties together the revelations I had back when I was in high school to what's about to come next. But from my perspective, it was build a temple, and I'm the God that spoke to your first parents in the garden. From my perspective, originally, this was a pretty big jump. And I'm like, well, we're talking about building a temple, and now you're telling me this. I already know this. Why is this here? Then in verse 5, the revelation continues and says, Behold, I spake the words of Elohim when I said unto man, We have created you this earth, and have placed upon it vegetation of all kinds, and animal life of all kinds. Yea, we have commanded all these to multiply in their own sphere and element. And behold, we give thee dominion over all these things and make you Lord over the whole earth and all the things of the face thereof. When I first received this revelation, I immediately recognized this as Genesis 2, and I really wasn't sure why I was receiving it or what to do with it. But after studying Kabbalah, I now understand that what this is actually saying is each of us is the creation of God. And we talked about this in chapter 3. What is the earth? The earth represents the Shekinah, the divine feminine. It represents us, our physical beings, the vegetation, the animal life. That represents our desires, our righteous desires here, because God doesn't create wicked desires, right? And he's told us, he's commanded us to multiply these righteous desires in their own sphere and element. So this goes right back to verse one, when God says, Every soul who calleth upon my name and obeys my voice and keeps my commandment and forsaking sin shall see my face. He's telling us the exact same thing again, except in a Kabbalistic perspective. How do we do verse one? How do we accomplish that? By multiplying our righteous desires. And we do that through that path of Teshuvah we just spoke about in the last several podcasts. And this is key. How do we do it? The Lord plants the seeds and that divine wisdom inside of us that holy will to receive that we have. And in wisdom, we grow the desires the Lord places upon our hearts. But what does that mean we give the dominion? What does dominion mean? Dominion means domain. One way of looking at it is a supreme authority, absolute ownership. We like to take that strong word and grab it. This is mine. But I want to flip that around. If it means domain, that means that our territory is ourselves. As ministers, we can teach correct principles, but we do not have the authority to command others or control their desires. So yes, we have our free agency. We have complete dominion over ourselves, over our domain, over who we are, but we don't have the authority to use priestcraft and try to control others. Remember Matthew 7, 1 through 5, judge not. Worry about that beam in your own eye. Because once we are perfected, then we will know that the only proper judgment is to judge ourselves. So in verse 9, it says, we now command thee. This is important because in Old English, thee is singular, ye is plural. 
In our language, we say you. You can mean you, the one person right now listening to this, or you, all the people that will listen to this. If I say into thee, I'm speaking to one listener. If I say ye, I'm speaking to all of you. So that's really telling here, we now command thee, we command an individual that thou shalt multiply and replenish the earth. That ye, now here we have everyone, may have joy in rejoicing in thy posterity. We have to take control of our own domain, ourselves personally, and then together work as one. This ye can be both our desires and us collectively as the bride of Christ, as the Shekinah. In verse 10, it says, And I also spake unto mankind, giving them commandments, saying, We have also planted for thee in this garden all manner of fruits, flowers, and vegetation. Yea, and of every tree of the garden thou may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat. Nevertheless, thou may choose for thyself, for it is given unto thee. But remember that I forbid it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. I'm sure that sounds very familiar. Adam and Eve are told not to partake of the fruit of the tree in the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because if they do, they're going to die. And we know that they don't die. Not in the traditional sense of the word that we are raised to understand it. But God gives us this commandment saying, hey, you're going to be happy here. Don't worry about wisdom. Just live your life and be happy here. Because that's what the knowledge of good and evil is. It's wisdom. It's a form of understanding. And the Lord goes on and says, And this I spake unto Adam and unto his wives, Lilith and Eve, that they mayest choose for themselves to follow these my first commandments unto mankind. I want to touch on this for a minute. In Kabbalah, and I mentioned this before, remember that the male represents the desire to bestow, and the female represents the will to receive. Here, Adam, Eve, and Lilith are us. So if you're getting excited about polygamy, slow down. Adam represents here our desire to bestow. Lilith represents our wicked desire to receive only for ourselves. And Eve will represent our righteous desire to receive. Remember earlier in chapter two, it talked about the third of the host of heaven leaving. That's Lilith. We have an option here. In Mormon Kabbalah, we learn that if we don't kick Lilith, our egoistic desire just to get for ourselves, just to gain for ourselves, then she will overthrow Adam and bring in Cain, drowning out Eve, the righteous desire to receive from God. That's how we become perdition. So in our ministries, part of what we have to do is through Teshuvah, remove the wickedness that egoistic desire that is always hungry and can never be filled and replace it with the good word of God that is nourishing. Because if we don't, we can't teach others to do this. And if we're not out doing that, what are we doing? That's everything. It's all about building that relationship with God. In verse 15, it says, And thus said I, the Lord God, even Yavav Elohim, Remember, O mankind, this commandment which we have given unto you. And I commanded them, saying, Go now to dress this garden and care for the good of it. Yea, be happy and have joy therein. And I shall go my way, but shall visit thee again from time to time, and thus give thee further instructions. Again, there's thee. So he's talking to 
Adam, Lilith, and Eve, but he's saying thee. This is another hint that it's actually you that he's talking to. It's me that he's talking to. God is telling us, you may freely eat of all of these desires. Now, I believe that it's very clear here that he's going to visit again and give further instructions. And eventually those instructions would be partake of the fruit. There's a letter that Joseph Smith wrote to Sidney Rigdon's daughter called the happiness letter. And in it, he talks about this idea of eating an apple without permission and facing the consequences for it. But if we were to ask for permission and get that permission first, we can eat the apple and there's no harm, no foul. There's no punishment. When the Lord tells us no, that doesn't necessarily mean that it is a forever no. When we fast and the Lord tells us, what do I fast over? Well, okay, just for an easy example, the Lord says, I want you to fast and I don't want you to eat or drink anything. Does that mean you're never going to be able to eat again? Of course not. That's a ridiculous idea. You will be able to eat again. In order for the creation to happen, at some point, we would have to partake of the apple. In order for the creation to fully develop, at some point, we would have to partake of this fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, whatever that is. It isn't literally an apple, like in Joseph Smith's example. Some people think it's a fig. I don't think it's that either. I think it's all very symbolic. And we're going to get into what it is further on in the book. But for now, we need to understand that there are consequences to our actions and our inactions. And there's a time and a season for all things. The Lord commanded me to build a temple. That's how all this started. I asked for more information. And the Lord gave me this revelation. How can we build a temple if we aren't prepared to do so? If we're just going to build another building and use it as a meeting house for ordinances and to sing songs of praise. There's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, the Lord wants us to be a people of the temple for a reason. We were promised that if we built the Nauvoo Temple while Joseph Smith was alive, that we would receive light and knowledge. It wasn't built. We didn't get it. Yes, Joseph Smith received signs and tokens, and he gave them to the apostles, to the Council of Fifty, and to others. But the things we were promised we would receive in the Nauvoo Temple never came. Brigham Young went in that temple and prayed, got down on his knees and begged for them. But the temple was never fully complete. He didn't receive them. So he sat down and he wrote out a temple drama to help teach what he did have from Joseph Smith and other things that he believed that the saints of his denomination should know. And here's what's interesting. Over time, that temple drama has changed dramatically. It has shortened. They've cut things out. They've removed oaths and penalties that were never part of anything that Joseph Smith gave us. They've recently removed things that made women more submissive to men. That was never in the original temple endowments that Joseph Smith gave to the saints. The Lord wants us to have these blessings, these endowments, this information, but we have to understand what we've been given first. In this podcast, this section where we're talking about the book of remembrance, we're going to dive deeply into the signs and tokens that were given to Joseph Smith. And we're going to do it using Adam and Eve as our guide. 
I did not fully understand or appreciate what I was given when I first received these revelations. I do now, and I am sharing what I know with you in hopes that we will see past the superficial idea of Adam and Eve and Lilith and their drama of what happens to them. Yes, it's an interesting soap opera. Yes, there's lessons to be learned, but there's a much deeper meaning here. Let's look past that veil of separation and let's make this a part of ourselves and see it as the creation of God that we are. Because as we do, I promise you, keys will be unlocked to you and you will have a greater understanding of your ministry. The final verse in this chapter, verse 18 reads, And behold, whence I departed, the devil came among the children of the Lord, even as a serpent to tempt them. Now that's a very gripping ending, because that's what happens to us. We go through Teshuva, we grow closer to God, and then Satan shows up and says, Hey, let me, let me tempt you with this. That's why he's the adversary. But know that the Lord is always with us. It says that he shall go his way, but he doesn't say that his way isn't with us. Just because he's not speaking to us directly at this exact moment doesn't mean he's not aware of what's going on or there to guide and help us as we need it. But the moment that we think we're alone, the devil will come in and try to tempt us. So in your ministries, be forewarned. Every time you feel closer to God, the devil is going to try to make you feel further away. Every time you feel like you have a better understanding, the adversary is going to step in and try to confuse you. And it doesn't matter if your ministry is as a pastor with a flock or as a disciple or even as one who's just seeking right now. God's with you. And when that temptation comes, don't listen to the adversary. Don't listen to the tempter. Find your strength in God. If you can kneel, kneel down and say a prayer. If you can't kneel, sit or stand and bow your head and say a prayer. If you can't bow your head, close your eyes and say a prayer. If you can't close your eyes, keep them open and say a prayer. And if too many things are going on and you can't pray, rely on that prayer that's been written on your heart. Feel it because that's your connection to the Lord. And he will accept your prayer and protect you however you come to him. Always remember that as ministers of Jesus Christ, the first ministry we have is to build up our personal relationship with God. And as we do that, we will be given greater perspective, authority, and ability to help others grow their relationship with God. We make the introduction and we're there to help them, but they take it from there. Until next week, Shalom and God bless.